0: Hello and welcome to Marketing on the Moon. I'm your host, Regan Wolsey, here to help you learn how to implement the right Web3 marketing strategies that actually move the needle so that you can finally attract, nurture, and convert your ideal audience. In today's episode, I'm joined by Samantha Mullett, a leadership coach and Web3 marketing advisor who joined Web3 in the early days of 2019. Sam is a coach for leaders, achievers, and dreamers who want a meaningful career and fully expressed life. She's also a longtime marketing advisor to companies like PayPal, LinkedIn, and Intuit, after spending 11 years leading go-to-market teams. In this episode, Sam and I discuss her journey into Web3, along with the ups and downs of being a product marketer in the space. And to top it off, she brings her coaching expertise into the mix to explain how you can manage your never-ending to-dos, complicated stakeholder relationships, and conflicting priorities all at once as a product marketer in Web3 so get your notebooks out. Over the next 30 minutes, we are going to touch on all of these subjects and more. If you've ever wondered how Web3 Marketing really works or want to implement strategies that actually get you close to your goals, stick around. I promise you won't want to miss this. Hello and welcome, Sam. I'm so excited to have you on Marketing on the Moon, this Web3 Marketing podcast. How are you doing?
1: i have been wonderful, Regan. Great to see you and also your name.
0: Thank you. Marketing on the Moon is- I wanted something again that I could transition between almost like Web 2 and Web 3 since we really live in that Web 2.5 space, but something that could grow with me as the podcast continues to grow. So I'm glad I have your vote of confidence that we've lost. We met originally when I started working for Chainalysis. I think we met within my first week when I had to go to New York for our bit user conference links. Do you remember that?
1: Yes, I do. I remember. Yeah. And it was SheAnalysis. It was our first Lynx conference,
0: I believe. Five days after I started and I met the whole team and I remember you and I instantly hit it off. And then you, you know, we spent some time at SheAnalysis and then both of us have now gone our separate ways. But it's really wonderful to get to come back together and I think continue some of those relationships even after we've left and built our own things on the side.
1: I couldn't agree more. It's so interesting to connect with coworkers just immediately. Like you're just like magnetized. I remember meeting you and you showing up to the conference being like, I just started. And yet you were hustling, you were on it, you were all over the place. You were learning so quickly. I was like, okay, this girl. Has, she's gonna do big things in web three. And then sure enough, here we are. We got podcasts. You're doing it. And yeah, it's it's interesting to see how everyone's path in web three kind of ebbs and flows and, and moves around.
0: Totally. And there are so many different spaces that you can go to. You're doing and have done so many different things. Do you want to maybe start with that? Give a quick introduction on who you are, what you do in Web3, outside of Web3. Would love to learn or for the listeners to learn a
1: little bit more about you. Yeah. Well, I have a long career in marketing, but I am now a marketing advisor and leadership coach. And Really, my career actually started in traditional advertising, working for big consumer packaged goods. So Absolute Vodka, Jameson Whiskey, got some good party alcohol brands in there. You know, as you're starting your career, that can be really fun. And then I am in San Francisco and I launched into tech. And so I started at doing a general marketing role at a seed stage startup. So that really means wearing like seven different hats and also being an ops person and a product person. And I decided I want wanted more structure, especially as, as I was learning and early in my career. So then I went to Adobe, which is the exact opposite, Dinosaur. And then I was steeped in digital marketing. So I used a totally different skill set, learned a different side of the engine of marketing. And then... Decided to go into product marketing. And that's what made up the bulk of my marketing career, is really becoming an expert in go to market launches for startups. And then in 2016, I started hearing whispers of Bitcoin in the Bay Area. And there was just something that hooked me. And it was such a small community at the time. And I knew that my future was going to be in Web3 in some capacity. At the time, I thought that maybe looked like a blog that I created to help people learn about it because. The first thing I noticed, and I, I still believe this to this day, is that the language used in Web3 is the main blocker to people getting Such into a it. Barrier. Mm-hmm. Massive barrier. So I was like, okay, I'll make a blog and I'll you know, have this dream of making a blog that would like, break down the barrier and help millions understand Web3 and start to adopt it. Obviously, that didn't happen. I did create a blog several years later, but you know, not huge, very tiny thing. And... You know, I was still working in tech. And then soon after that, found Chainalysis, was a product marketing leader there, um, really working on Chainalysis Reactor, but also, you know, it was a series B company at the time. So it was still smaller, working all over the place. Then my Web3 career continued and I ended up working at Serotonin as a senior marketing director. And there I was on the client side. So I was almost I was in house for almost my whole career, except for Serotonin. And at Serotonin, I would be working with four to six clients at a time. I had a different team for each client that I was managing. So you can imagine there was a lot going on. And I learned, I was able to apply all of this knowledge from all these different marketing experiences to these different clients. But these clients were very deep in Web3 too. So I became really familiar with the nuances that happen in a go-to-market, different channels that you're activating in Web3 versus others. And it's more holistic marketing versus my product marketing role at Chainalysis. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, then I kind of just became an expert in Web3 marketing. And I still love product marketing and go-to-markets. They're so near and dear to my heart. And now I work as an independent marketing advisor. So I work with some large fintech Web2 brands that are getting into Web3. I also work with some Web3 brands in a coaching capacity. So helping... Mm -hmm. Individuals kind of play the corporate game, figured out how to, you know, uplevel their career or manage the chaos that is sometimes Web3. I also work with yep. teams to build better trust and connection so that they can actually succeed as an organization because across this, I've also seen many teams fail and companies fail because of it. So that is a long-winded kind of snippet of my journey today. Okay. And you said
0: that I was doing a lot in Web3. You are a total badass. Everything that you've done, all of your marketing experience, I think that is the kind of experience that so many marketers want to be able to have under their belt. And I think that has really given you the skills to be that comprehensive, overarching, jack of all or Jane of all trades, whatever word we want to use there. Marketer, it's also cool to see that you have You know experience across all different departments right you know we talk about we talked about in the beginning of this before we started recording some of those really important roles to have in place in an early stage startup i think product marketing is one of those wouldn't you agree and yet so many founders forget about that have you found that to be the case
1: Yeah, I think product marketing is one of those skills that every founder should dabble in a little bit because product marketing, one, it's cross functional You're working with every different team. Every product marketing role I've had, I feel like I know everyone in the company because I've worked with sales, customer success, product, really in-depth leadership, the whole marketing team, name it. But there's such an interesting art and science at play with go to market And I think something that I teach a lot about is like there's a lot of templatized ways to launch. And truly a launch should be as unique as the product that you're bringing to market and unique as the people that you're serving. And there's no one way to launch. So there are also many ways to make this really fun. Like it doesn't have to feel like research drowning work, right? It's like there are so many ways to... Get more information about who you're talking to, build those relationships, start like evangelists, you know, kicking off with those before launch even happens to get feedback on early messages. Like, those are just a little, a few things where you can really look product marketing. And I think founders are realizing, you know, I, mean, I think they know product market fit is the, the ultimate goal, but product marketing plays probably the most key role in terms of that goal. Especially early
0: days. I think I see so often
1: people posting or coming to me and saying, Hey, do you know
0: anyone that could fit the CMO role? And they have just raised their friends and family, right? Or they've just finished their Series A. And at that point, you don't necessarily need someone who can take on the CMO, the CMO who's going to get in deep in the details and into the weeds with your product team, your sales team, ready to wear. A ton of different hats but is really ready to create that messaging that's going to be compelling for your customer and it takes a very specific marketer in order to do that and i think it's interesting that you said you started your whole journey by thinking okay i want to create a blog that is going to help people break down these barriers help people understand why the hell they would even want to come and participate in this industry because
1: that is what a product marketer needs to to do yeah absolutely you spot the problem you spot where there's a gap or a void and then you figure out how do I fill that so I think to be a good product marketer you have to be a really scrappy great problem solver you have to you know really stretch your creative muscles to think you know how can we make this happen how can we get this information um how can we test you know what might work before we launch it so really someone who's willing to to stretch I guess Because you have such a wide breadth of experience between Web2 and Web3,
0: let's talk a little bit about maybe the differences that you see between Web2 and Web3 marketing, because having had experience between both, it could be a little intimidating for, I think, Web2 marketers to want to make that jump on over. Can you talk a little bit more maybe about what aspects of marketing were compelling for you and interesting as to why you wanted to actually move your career into the space rather than just participate by investing or, you know, any number of the other ways that you could just participate outside of building your career in the industry.
1: Yeah. I mean, hot take, but at the time I thought Web3 marketing was horrible. Oh, 100%. I was like, what? Totally. What? Like, you cannot be using these very long words in your positioning or even using the word trustless. Like, while I get it and I understand it, most people will hear trustless and think it's untrustworthy. So you have to, like, tuned in to people and, you know, listening to friends and family be like, that sounds scary. It sounds cryptic. And it's like, no, it's based on Mm -hmm. it's not cryptic. So really, I saw the issue first, which is also very product marketing like too. I saw that there was a need in the Web3 space to better market products so that people could understand and adopt them. And then in terms of the differences, another hot take here. I don't think they're actually that different it's that you're working with a different audience and different channels. And there are many differences in launching across those channels. Like Discord is not a thing in Web2, right? Different. Mm -hmm. Communities are a thing in Web2. And I think there's this big community story in Web3, but I think it's a little overplayed because there are communities in Web2 and there are a lot of similarities between both. So with that said, if you are a Web2 marketer, you're a little intimidated you're not sure if Web3 is for you, I guarantee that you would be an asset because you have that perspective and that pulse on the wider market that Web3 needs. Totally. I also
0: think a lot of Web2 marketers have the fundamentals in place. And this is the narrative that I push so often, which is Web3 marketing, while you need to take some of those Web2 strategies, you need to be able to Web3ify it. But Web3ify it doesn't mean create something from scratch it actually means to be able to take that structure and those fundamentals of understanding what KPIs you're looking at or just even being able to find your MVP right as a product marketer and being able to create and craft that narrative that is going to be compelling in your audience sitting down with your CS team with your sales team and saying talk to me about what your customers are saying talking to your customers yourself like all those pieces are important And while we can be creative and fun and kind of funky in Web3 marketing and we get to use NFTs and this cutting edge technology, you can't forget about all that stuff that we've learned before. And so I think Web2 marketers can be that asset so long as they are ready to add another layer on top of their marketing, which I would argue is
1: actually quite fun. Absolutely. And I think the culture of Web3 is so fun and unique. And so I I would say for Web2 marketers if you're listening to this, you're obviously interested in Web3 to some degree. Mm -hmm. And so you probably already have a pulse on the culture. You follow different people. You have a sense of tone and sentiment. And those things will come into play in your job. And you'll just have to use those as data points so that you're not pushing messaging in a Web3 marketing role that's like cringy. But you'll have that cringe check with your team and You'll you'll just like sink into it almost. And it, I think that culture, every industry has its own culture. So you can also think of it like you're going into a new industry or a new job. You know, you're going to mesh and you're going to figure it out. Totally. And that's what I was going to say too, is it's
0: very much like just switching an industry. People make it seem like it's entirely new. Now, there are new words. There's a new language that we do need to learn that while we don't want to use that externally, we end up using it internally and there are new tech pieces and platforms that we need to get used to using all of that is doable right. and typically the teams at web3 are very helpful with that they will bring you into the
1: culture and you just have to have that willingness I suppose to onboard exactly and I think that's one of my favorite things about web3 is that people are so open to sharing and bringing mm-hmm. you on board and I think another thing that makes people a little hesitant is the technology piece and granted the technology fans it's complex and it's continuing to evolve every day every month every year mm-hmm. there are elements and to not my advice would be to not get intimidated by the technology piece because you will learn what you need to learn for your role or for your client whatever it is and those teams will bring you in but you don't need to know how the whole industry operates because now the industry is so big that it's like well are you Person, are you more DeFi? Are you this or okay. that? Right. So I think before there was a push that you needed to really understand everything. And now it's just like any other industry, you you find your niche. Absolutely. And that is such a great point
0: because you don't need to be an expert in the industry overall. You need to be an expert in your particular area of expertise. But another point that I was thinking of while you were. You know, going through how the teams are going to bring you in. There are going to be other experts that you can talk to. I'm curious, when I first started in Web3, I used to sit in on meetings and I would get really intimidated. I would sit with product teams and sales teams and engineers and the research team, and all of a sudden they would start spewing jargon at me. And my brain would immediately go to, I don't know what they're talking about. I know less than they do. And now I'm not going to say anything and I'm not going to ask questions because I don't want to seem like I don't know what I'm Talking about. And I think that's one of the most hurtful things that someone can do early on in Web3. And I'm glad that I nipped that in the bud really quickly because you really do need to be able to take a step back and say, hey, can you help me through this? Most people will help you through it. I don't know if you found that when you joined the industry as well.
1: Definitely. And I found myself continuing to ask, I'm, you know, can you please explain this to me? I'm getting up to speed on this specific piece. How does this work? And I think remembering to stay curious. And I think curiosity is a superpower and can be applied to all areas of our life because when we're curious, we are in that play mode and we don't let, we're not able to be in curious play mode and be in stress mode. And that reaction that you talked about is a like fight or flight reaction. It's one, it's like a fear of judgment. There's some anxiety coming up. So, if you find that that block is coming up for you as an individual, see if you can switch and put on kind of your more like playful path and be curious. And maybe you ask your question after the meeting if you're intimidated, or maybe you find a nice, you know, space in the conversation to say, hey, I'm, I'm still learning about this key piece. Could you explain more? And that will go, that will bring you so far. And I wish more people did that on the regular and one surprising thing I found is that the most senior leaders that have a really strong skill set are willing to do that. The leaders, the founders themselves, the ones who are successful are willing to say, hey, I could you tell me more about this strategy that you presented? You know, could you tell me more about this? Could you tell me more about how this works? The founders and leaders that don't do that are the ones that end up failing or creating Really toxic cultures. And I've seen a lot of organizations fail because founders aren't willing to be curious. And that is such a great point. And
0: I think a great way for somebody to evaluate a team that they're potentially going to join because Web3 is really driven by startup culture. I would say there are definitely some larger companies now as the industry has continued to mature. But in large part, when you're joining, you are going to run into some companies that have three to five people on the team, 20 people on the team. And I think being able to quickly triage and identify, all right, is this a team that is building a culture that I want to be a part of is so important. And that is one that is important to me because I learned early on you cannot do that because it's going to bite you in the butt later, further down the road if you don't learn it when you first join the industry then you're not going to want to talk about it a year in but it also means that you're not fully understanding the situation and especially as a marketer you have to be able to really understand the product what you're offering problem that you're trying to solve for your customers because if you don't it's going to be half-assed language or it's going to be language that a customer doesn't really identify with and so I love the idea of being able to put on your play hat yeah it's so
1: much more fun too Absolutely, solid for fun. Okay, let's
0: talk about though, when you run into some of the stakeholders as a marketer, we have many of them, maybe are a little bit more difficult. How do you go about handling that situation when, I mean, it's, it's everyone knows this, marketers have a different personality many times to engineers or to researchers. Most of the time we are a little more extroverted. We wanna have longer conversations. Sometimes we wanna dive into those details more than some other
1: teams do. Do you ever run into that? And what do, you, what do you typically do in those situations? That's a great question. And I think it's something that every product marketer runs into at some point because there's so many different stakeholders. It's recognizing who you're talking to across the table. What are their needs? What goals are they held to? And then again, speaking the same language. So if you're making an ask, make it a really informed ask and you are framing that So that your goals are accounted for and your needs are expressed. But also it aligns with their ultimate goals too. So that you're finding this common ground. Because I think a lot of the time conflicts happen when you have one person with one frame of mind, you know, they're looking at one side of the remote and then the other Mm -hmm. person from the other direction, they're looking at another side of the remote and they just, they can't even see the same picture. Sometimes Mm -hmm. that's as easy as just laddering up to the business goals because usually everything's trickling down from there. So that's kind of uh, a tip. I would also say anyone who's struggling with stakeholder management or alignment, take a look at nonviolent communication. I did a training and I now teach about communication and how to have conscious, empathetic, authentic conversations. And it's one one of the most powerful skills I think anyone can have because it allows you to do that and it allows you to recognize when someone's speaking to you, what are they really saying? Like, What do they really need here? They really want aside from any emotions that are presented or even the language used.
0: And I totally agree with that. That's what I used to do when I would go into meetings because as a marketer, I like to put my play hat on. I like to be fun and out there and say, what if we do this, that or the other thing? But you can't always do that in front of your stakeholders, especially if you are in a leadership position, because often times the other leaders that you're talking to in the revenue organization, product, whatever it is, they want to get down into the details. But that's not because they don't want to play with you. It's because they have pressure from outside of their individual team that is causing them to have that anxiety, that stress. They're worried about hitting their numbers. They're worried about hitting their goals. And you can't actually get them into the play mindset, to use your words, until you have gone over how this particular strategy is going to help you reach whatever revenue goal you have, how it's going to align to the overall business goals, how it's going to help a customer, how it's going to get you that customer that you've been you know, tracking for months. And I think that's an important piece and one that I found really helped me as I've navigated my relationships is you have to start with some of that business and then you can move to some of the, you know, other aspects that you want to have conversations about that they don't always respond to in the way that you want them to respond to.
1: And to add to that, I think that's, that's Mm -hmm. so point. I would also say you can tell the difference between an early stage marketer and a late stage marketer in the way that they present an idea, because usually early stage marketers are like, I have all these idea ideas, like they become like an idea fairy, which is incredible. I love that creativity. But when late stage marketers present an idea, it's thought through. They take into consideration mm-hmm. budget, execution, timeline, and mm-hmm. that makes it easier for the leader to make a decision because you put everything on the table. They don't need to ask you to go back and figure it out. So another thing to take into consideration, depending on, you know, any listener's experience, where they're at in the career, what they're dealing with.
0: I used to tell my teams that you have to make it really hard for them to say no. And you make it hard for them to say no when you can lay it out as a thoughtfully presented idea that goes through the who, what, when, where, why, and it. Because us. if you jump right into it, right, and you say, oh my goodness, we're going to go and create, a Bitcoin waffle machine, which is something that my team did at a conference, that sounds really exciting to your internal team, but to revenue leaders, they're like, why are you going to go spend this money on that? That's not going to get us any closer, right? And, and so instead, you need to focus on, you know, how it's going to build that brand image at a particular conference that you, you're going to and how you have certain target accounts at those conferences that are really close to getting over the line and how that's going to be a conversation piece and how past conversation pieces or activations you've done at a conference have helped you get over the line with past clients that have been difficult and that's what's going to make them giddy and jump with joy and excited about trying your freaking bitcoin waffle machine
1: <laughs> i love oh my god i love that advice make it easy but also not mm-hmm waffles so thank you yeah i know sorry i
0: was very proud of that one my team did an incredible job on it too but um i like to use that example because sometimes stakeholders can be difficult you really have to be able to put yourself into their shoes in a way that also gets you closer to your goals as well because you don't want both teams to have to say no to something there's compromise there's always compromise somewhere you just have to find line exists right But maybe let's switch back into a little bit of strategy because I was just talking about KPIs and what are some of those key OKRs or KPIs that you think, let's take it from the perspective of maybe someone joining Web3 and thinking to themselves, "Mm, I don't know what those KPIs are. What advice would you give them? Because I think many of them are the same, but there might be a couple new ones that you have in mind that you want to let them know about.
1: Yeah. Yeah. For that one, I would say what I've noticed is that there are more product-focused KPIs in Web2 and there are in Web3 also. I think there's a lot of carryover, but those product KPIs might look different depending on who you're working with in Web3. If they're, you know, an L1 or L2, those KPIs are going to be different than an NFT project. Because Web3 is so heavy on Twitter and Discord, like those metrics tend to be in the KPIs because they're signaling that the community is growing, that sentiment is improving. And those are some of the most important things for any startup, but especially in Web3 because there's a lot going on all the time. So if you're seeing growth in the saturated Web3 space, then that obviously means something with a great signal. I think a lot carry over. I just find that there is also an added emphasis on social and sentiment. And then, of course, anything on chain. Absolutely. When it comes to
0: sentiment data, I would say most of the Web3 attribution platforms and providers that I've spoken to dial really deep into sentiment data, in part because on-chain data is still a little bit complicated for them and they're not able to, I guess, provide their customers the same level of insights that Web2 platforms, like a Salesforce, for example, would be able to provide. And so to counteract that, they focus on sentiment data. But there's a lot of really interesting work that's happening in the space right now. And what I'm particularly excited about is to be able to recognize how our customers are interacting with our competitors and all of that information is going to be available on chain and how much time they spend on competitor sites and how much money they invest into our competitors and where they're really interested in or like what particular products and areas they're interested in. And this could be applied between B2B and B2C companies. And some of that may be hidden, right? Eventually we may get to the point where people don't want that data public, but that is the whole ethos of the blockchain. And I find it a really interesting use case. And one, as a marketer, I'm excited about because it means that we are going to be able to create more targeted campaigns towards those individuals, instead of assuming intent or assuming sentiment
1: in the way that we almost need to do today in Web 2. Absolutely. And I have a question for you. This is something I've yes. gone back and forth on many times over my career and still mm-hmm. question. But how, like, to what degree should a marketer take into consideration competitive data? It's
0: a really good question.
1: I am a growth marketer. I'm a
0: field marketer. I really focus on pipeline generation. That's where my expertise really lies and moving deals across the line and through the file. And for me, when it comes to that top of funnel piece, we work really closely with demand generation teams and you have to establish intent in one way, shape or form. And competitor use is a great way and a great metric to look at. And so right now that's difficult because your intent is based on what conferences has this person or this group attended. And um, what pieces of content have they downloaded? And that's, you know, that's great. But what I want to know is where are they actually, are they putting their money where their mouth is? And how long have they been with those competitors? Because we will be able to tell if someone maybe is new to the market, you know, is new to looking for the sort of products that we're selling, and that's great. We can run a specific targeted campaign towards them. But on the other end, if we're trying to actually take them away from one of our competitors, that's going to require a different mindset different narratives, different marketing materials. And I wanna know what I'm going into before I work with my team to actually target those individuals. And so that's why I think competitor intel and data is so important. Now that being said, you shouldn't over-index on it because at the end of the day, if your product is top of the line, if you really focus in on the use cases that you're, or the use cases of your product, the problems that you're solving, you're going to be able to do a lot in that relationship building world of marketing that is going to help a customer come on over because deals are still done through relationships but that's why i that's why i point to competitor intel okay
1: wonderful i love that take because Competitor data was something that I would always get into right off the bat with clients or new roles that I was in because I felt like it could inform the go-to-market strategy, positioning, messaging, if you learn more mm-hmm. about customers. And then over time, I started to reject that because I found that in that scope of work, you end up p- pigeonholing the, you know, employer, the client, because you end up you've done so much research in this like really small bubble that whatever you put out ends up being influenced by that. So then I started adopting this narrative of like, don't do any competitor data, but do research on products that are in different industries that have similar benefits that whatever it is that you're working on. So maybe I'm working on, I don't know, I'm not going to say like an example product, but let's say it's in Web3 and then Maybe I'll look to the marketing of like Hue light bulbs because they've totally changed the way you can interact with light in your house, right? Or e-bikes. And then I look at those campaigns that are completely different, but draw inspiration from them to make the positioning in the go-to-market truly, truly unique. But I think what you said is spot on. So now I'm going to change my narrative a little bit because I (laughs) think... Mine is more for positioning messaging go to market strategy mm-hmm. a little bit, but competitor data is so important for growth for field for a yeah. p m so I love that answer, so thank you for helping me like continue my thesis here
0: <laughs> absolutely. No, and I love what you just said too, because I agree. I think you oftentimes you silo yourself into this bubble or you know this ecosystem of what has already been said and what has already been done because you force yourself to think, okay, well, this is where the box exists and it's really hard to get your mind outside of that box. And so maybe the middle ground there is you start with those indirect competitors and you look at what the industry is doing and what kind of marketing tactics have worked. I think there was a toothpaste brand. I don't know if you saw this in Web3 that decided we're not going to talk about our toothpaste in the metaverse because that doesn't necessarily make sense and we can't sell toothpaste. But you know what we can do? We can't build a relationship here. And so they decided they were going to host LGBTQ marriages in the metaverse and issue marriage certificates and have these big weddings in the metaverse to show their support for those communities. And I thought that was so interesting because it had nothing to do with toothpaste, but everything to do about the kind of customer they wanted to serve and about the kind of brand and the values that they wanted to portray to those customers. And I say that because I think even if you're not working in a toothpaste brand, you're working in a bike brand, you're working at Chipotle, right? You are working at uh, any number of brands. You can take that and use it as inspiration for how you want to interact with your customers in the metaverse because the limit quite literally does not exist here. We can do and we can reinvent the way that we market. And that is why I love web three much
1: completely and you can get creative and be as wild or funky as you want I've seen some brands do some really interesting activations in the metaverse and like you said you might not be selling a tangible product but it's still great. you're still building relationships you're still creating an emotion and a feeling and mm-hmm. more probable than not if anyone who's interacted or been a part of that experience the next time they go to buy a toothpaste they'll probably be more likely to pick up your brand because they recognize it, right? Right. Same with brands that sponsor music festivals. Like maybe they Mm -hmm. have a Chipotle tent somewhere. You don't end up going there during the festival, but you remember that Chipotle sponsored it. You remember the brand name and then it's in your psyche. It's going to pop up at some point and you're going to go. So yeah, really interesting way that brands can activate. three.
0: Totally. The last example I will use, because I loved it, was did you see Chipotle, their 90s activation? Granted, it was on Roblox, so we can debate later whether or not that's actually Web 3, but I think it's interesting inspiration that we can pull. So they built a 90s version of their store, and they had all of this merch that you could buy on Roblox, right, to outfit your character as a 90s Chipotle worker, because that's when they started. And then you could actually go and build your own burrito and play games, and then you would win entree gift certificates for a free burrito.
1: Oh my gosh. See, that's so fun. I love that. I wish right? I knew about that and could engage with it.
0: <laughs> I know I could get a free burrito, but I think I don't know if it's still up there anymore. I forget how long the campaign ran for, but I thought that was a really interesting way because sometimes I'll rack my brain and go, okay, how can this web two company start to interact in web three? And then I feel like, and then I will get stuff in that loop. I feel like I've created that box for myself and I have to take a step back and go, no, no, that does not exist. And we can go and we can try and we can test. We really are in that new wave of
1: marketing where we have that ability to play. Yeah, I'll uh, share one other one. I know we could probably talk all day about this. And <laughs> I had a client, I but I love it, a client who is really focused on bringing psilocybin to mental health providers, and you know, really making that space real and accessible for more people but they were thinking about a metaverse activation where they could have mental health providers in a metaverse space and people could meet privately in the metaverse so that they could get care uh, virtually in areas where they might not be able to access it or afford it. And it was also this like really beautiful thing that they started to put together in terms of look and feel and really dreamy and almost like this like sanctuary in the metaverse. So it was really calming and peaceful. And then they would be able to activate the kind of level of care and i thought that was fascinating and just showed how much more there is to be built in the metaverse
0: so much more to be dull and the youth cases are endless i was reading something very similar where therapists are actually wanting to move into the metaverse for i guess they're not kids anymore necessarily for people uh, gen z And it's because they went to school in the middle of the pandemic, they got used to being on video chat and many of them feel more comfortable being on video chat when they talk to mental health care providers instead of being in a room face-to-face.
1: That's fascinating.
0: And so there might be, right, an opportunity here in the metaverse to be able to create that comfort for them and allow them to open up and really get them the help that all of us need. And so I love that we are not just looking at consumer brands, but we're also looking into other industries as to how they can leverage Web3 and provide the care and help to people that really need it. Completely.
1: Same with education and many other industries that could actually, I feel like I could talk about this all
0: day. All day long. Seriously. But I feel like that's a really good place for us to come to a close because we've talked about so many different things in this podcast. I mean, we've talked about your journey into Web3, all the incredible things that you are doing. We talked about how someone can start to build their career as a marketer in Web3, some of the barriers that they can, you know, break down for themselves because they don't need to be intimidated. There are so many ways that they can get involved in this space, and there are so many skills that they can use from Web2 that transition really wonderfully into Web3. We talked about KPIs, we talked about OKRs, we talked about different use cases and case studies in the metaverse. Am I forgetting anything that we talked about here?
1: No, I think you covered it. Somehow you remembered it. <laughs> <laughs> it's a lot. Uh, Regan, thank you so much for having me in this conversation. I loved it. And thank you for helping me like inform my competitive review stance too. I I think this is why I love talking with other people in Web3, other people in marketing, other women in the space, because we just were able to kind of help each other further develop the things that we put into practice and, honestly level up the whole industry together so thank you thank you Sam it was so wonderful to have you here
0: i've learned so much from you obviously since i met you but even in this last hour and i think that's what's so incredible about you is you just you are calm cool and collected to the ends of the earth and i so appreciate that about you and i'm so grateful that you were here and can you let people know how they can get in contact with you if they want to work with you or get in contact with you in the future
1: absolutely so In terms of coaching and marketing advisory work, the best way to get a hold of me is to just send me a message on LinkedIn, to be honest. Back in the Web2 world, I also have a website that is smullet.com, S-M-U-L-L-E-T-T, or you can follow me on Insta at growwith underscore Sam. And that's really where I'm sharing a lot of information, a lot of tips and tools these days. I also have a newsletter. It's called, right now it's called Local Boys, although we might change it or rebrand. We're not sure. Follow me on LinkedIn. That's amazing. I love it. (laughs) <laughs> but that newsletter is like drops just once a week. It's like four or five minute read. It has some like really fun, interesting things that we pull from the depths of the internet. But also it's just narratives to help you really up level wherever you are in your career or life. And usually those themes are pulled from my live coaching sessions so that more people get the benefits that I'm seeing, you know, across clients.
0: Okay. And that brings us to the very end of today's podcast. Thank you so much for listening in. If you have any questions about anything we covered in the show, or would like to learn more about how we can work together, come and find me over on LinkedIn and drop me a quick hello. I love when you all reach out and I respond to every single message. If you liked today's session, don't forget to follow the podcast or leave a quick review to help keep up to date on the latest in web three marketing news. And then finally, if you're ready to fine tune your Web3 marketing skills, accelerate your career, and learn how to future-proof your business, don't forget about my newest Web3 marketing course, The Power of Web3 Marketing. Unlike most courses that teach you the basics of marketing, this one helps marketers get up to speed on Web3 and learn exactly how they can implement the right trends and strategies for their business today. I've even brought on experts from Chainalysis to ThirdWork to teach you the ins and outs of how you can build your Web3 marketing strategy from scratch. This is the course that every single one of us wishes we had when we started in Web3. So as a special gift, Marketing on the Moon listeners get an extra $150 off using code MINT, M-I-N-T. Head to thepowerofweb3.marketing to grab your seat today. And don't forget to tune in next week as we dive deeper into the world of Web3. I cannot wait to see you there.